We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. With the uh, Kahoot, um, can I get my uh, PowerPoint up now? And so, um, you remember what we said last time in terms of uh, who the winner was and what their prize is. So, can I just invite Naomi up here? Naomi November, where are you? Are you can come up to the front. So, if I can just put this on you, and you're good to... Have you got your notes? No, it's in my head. <laughs> okay, all right. She was going to be freaked out. She took it far too naturally. Right, now have I put that on her? Is that okay? I remember Naomi when she was younger, that would have actually terrified her, but you're a teacher now, so you're used to just making it up on the spot. Okay, right, so, quick recap of where we're at right from the beginning of the Bible, very quick recap. So you remember the idea right from the beginning that God wanted to create, well, make creation which glorified him, which put his attributes on display, and his intention was that his creation would show what what he was like. As part of that effort, he created mankind to invite into the unity that he had in the Trinity to dance, to be part of his plan to fill the earth with his glory, to be part of the creative energy that he had. Unfortunately, mankind chose to rebel. They chose to step away from that offer. You remember Neil said this morning that God would come to walk with mankind in the cool of the day. But they rejected that. They wanted to put themselves in charge and uh, they just messed everything up. And we have continued to mess up everything since then. So God started again picking one man. This this man was named Abraham. And he said, I'm going to work through you and your family. And I'm going to bring about the things that I want to see in this earth. that That through you there will be a blessing for all of creation. And so we see Abraham's family build into what is known as Israel. We follow them through the Exodus, where they were rescued from slavery from Egypt, and then they were established in the promised land of Israel. So that was kind of up to begin the kings. And in kings, we have seen um, the anointing of uh, Solomon, As the king, we've seen the passing away of David. Then we saw Solomon kind of dealing with some of the potential threats to his kingdom. Um, In chapter 3, we see God uh, coming to Solomon in a dream and offering him whatever he wants. He asks for wisdom. Um, Nick last week talked about um, the the building of Solomon's cabinet. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And then the preparation for the building of the temple. So, today is all about the building of the temple. Now be with me in a second. Okay. But rather than going through all of the details, now chapter 6 has got a lot of details of measurements and how things were arranged... I ain't going to take you through that verse by verse today. Um, 
But the temple is important. And so I want to ask some questions about the temple today and uh, see where we get to. So what was the temple? How was the temple made redundant? And what is the temple today? And so to lead us through this journey, um, we're going to have two videos and a story, a children's story. And um, so that's where we're going to go today. So what was the temple? Has anyone ever visited a temple? Put your hand up if you visited a temple. Okay. A few of you. What temple did you visit? A Sikh temple. Anyone visit a temple from a long time ago? An ancient temple? Dave, what temple? Oh, look at that. Japanese Shinto temple. (laughs) No one else knows what that is. It's not something that features in our day-to-day life, temples. They tend to be of other religions of ancient. But for some reason, it's important to us because it's in the Bible. And my question is, why are we looking at a temple that was about 2,000 miles away and was destroyed two and a half thousand years ago? It doesn't seem very relevant. But... Let's have a little look at what the temple was all about. But first of all, rather than reading all of the detailed description, I'm going to play this, uh, this vid- video. It's a 3D impression of what they think the temple might have looked like using all of the kind of Bible and archaeology, archaeological stuffs, things. Okay, here we go.
Okay, so that's a, an impression of what they think the temple would have looked like. Um, much more interesting than listening to me read the, uh, the verses about it. Um, so the idea of the temple, the temple was kind of a super upgraded version of the tabernacle, which was a tent of meeting which Moses built. And so Solomon then built the, the tabernacle, uh, sorry, built the temple. And the temple was meant to point back to Eden, but it also pointed forwards to the new covenant. So let me give you some ideas of how it pointed back. So you remember in the beginning, God made the earth to show his glory, put his, glo- put his attributes on display. He invited mankind into that plan and into that intimacy with him. There was no pain, there was no suffering God's space and our space completely overlapped. But then man decided they didn't want God to be in charge. They wanted to promote themselves. They, they took the throne. It was a, um, a coup to, to take over instead. Now, God's sin cannot ex- exist where God is. So it forced the realms apart, the dimensions apart, and, the, and humans were banished from the garden. They were told, you have to go. And they went eastward out of the garden, it said. And actually, whenever you see the, the generations after Adam break covenant, disobey God, they move further eastwards. And so it says here that after he drove man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So that, the tree of life was, was the centre of the Garden of Eden. And so there's lots of different artists' impressions, but that idea of there was a very clear keep out. You're, you're not to come back into this space. Now, when we get to looking at the temple, God loves humans. He wants us in that intimacy with him. So he had Moses built the tabernacle and Solomon turned it into a, a temple um, because he wanted to invite us and he wanted to dwell in amongst us. So there was a symbol of the tabernacle and the temple being a place where God was saying, I'm still with you. And there was power. It wasn't just symbolism. There was a power with it as well. And so some of the kind of reminders we see, you've got pictures of fruit trees and models of fruit trees showing, reminding us what Eden was like. You had the menorah which showed the tree of life and the light coming from from, um, the presence of God. Even the way that the the Garden of Eden, so kind of imagine those two trees represent the Garden of Eden. They were pushed out eastwards and the um, cherubim and the flaming swords were put in front. The way that the tabernacle and then the temple was set up was pointing in the same direction. So that to come back into the presence of God, come back into Eden, you had to progress westward towards, um, towards the Holy of Holies, which is the, the hot spot within the tabernacle and the temple. And so in the construction of the tabernacle and the temple, God required there be a curtain put between the holiest, holy of holies and the rest of the temple. And embroidered on that curtain was the picture of the cherubim and the flaming swords. 
it was like a big keep out sign. You can't come into this, into this place. So there's a big challenge that God wanted to relate to his people, but yet because of their sin, there was a blockage of it. So God had to come up with something to allow some point of connection. Now this is the tabernacle and the temple kind of laid next to each other. This wasn't how it was set up, but just to see. And so you had the role of the high priest who once a year could take the blood from a sacrifice. So the sacrifice was kind of done out here. And he took the blood through this room here and that room there, which is the the holy place. And he took it into the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, there was the Ark of Covenant. So this represented the presence of God. One man could go in there once a year with the blood of, um, of a ball and he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat which was the top of the Ark of Covenant. And the idea is as God looked down on the law which was inside, inside the box, so the Ten Commandments, he looked down on that and he would see his people have not lived up to the commitment that they had made to him. The only thing that he would see when he looked down on that law was the spilled blood. And if the blood was there, he could be at peace with Israel. So once a year that could happen. Now it's important that we understand some of this stuff because the imagery and the temple language comes up again and again in the Bible. And so I wanted to take a bit of time to kind of explain um, what was going on in this. The temple also points forward to the new covenant. So if you look particularly in Hebrews in chapter 8 and 9 and 10, there's temple language and imagery all over the place. So if you don't really understand how the temple worked, it's difficult to really grip this. And the writer of Hebrews uses lots of terms to describe the tabernacle and the temple. talks about them being a copy a shadow, an earthly version of a heavenly reality. And he describes Jesus like the high priest who enters into the Holy of Holies, but not just once a year on the Day of Atonement to offer a sacrifice just for Israel, but Jesus went in not with the blood of animals, but with his own blood and offered it to God, not just for Israel, but for all of mankind and not just for one year, but for eternity. And it says, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true ones. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter a heaven enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have, not suffer, would have to have suffered many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once and for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. So this takes us to my next question. How was the temple made redundant? All of this stuff I find really quite complicated. And so I'm going to read you the story I read to my kids 
which helps me kind of get, get this mind-boggling thing under control to some extent. So um, you're not going to be able to see all the pictures, so I found this video that kind of shows you the pictures, and I'll read it to you. A very long time ago, right here in this world, there was a garden. In the garden, everything was wonderful. The world was full of laughing and playing and smiling and fun. There was nothing bad, ever. There was no one sad, ever. And best of all, God was there. He made it all. He was in charge of it all. He loved it all. People could see God and speak to God and just enjoy being with God. It was wonderful to live with God. But then, one day, the people did a terrible thing. They decided they didn't want to do what God said. They decided they wanted a world without God in charge. God calls this sin. Sin spoils things. So sin has no place in God's wonderful garden. God said to the people, you can't live with me in my garden anymore. And he sent them outside. To show the people they had to stay outside, God put some warrior angels in front of the garden. The angels were like a big keep out sign. Now, things were sometimes bad and people were sometimes sad. But people kept sinning because they didn't want God to be in charge. So no one could come into God's wonderful place. God said, because of your sin, you can't come in. God wanted people to remember it was wonderful to live with him. But because of your sin, you can't come in. So he told the people to build a special building called his temple where he would live. In the middle of the temple was the most wonderful place in the world. The place where God was with nothing bad and nothing sad. It was very exciting. But then God told his people to put a big curtain around the one, this wonderful place. The curtain had pictures of warrior angels on it. It was a big keep out sign. For hundreds of years, the temple curtain reminded people that God said, it's wonderful to live with him, but because of your sin, you can't come in. Babies became grown-ups and had babies. And those babies became grown-ups and had babies. And those babies became grown-ups and had babies. Hundreds of summers and winters passed by and the keep-out curtain stayed in the temple. Then one day, God's son came to live in the world as a person. He was called Jesus. Jesus always did what God said. Jesus never sinned. And Jesus visited the temple where the keep out curtain hung. Jesus knew that things were sometimes bad 
and people were sometimes sad. Jesus said that God had sent him to open the way back to God's wonderful place where there would be nothing bad and no one sad. But people still didn't want to let God be in charge, so they decided to put him to death on a cross to die. It was the most bad thing that had ever happened. It was the most sad day of all time. But Jesus had a plan. He'd always planned to die on the cross. What a strange plan. Why would God's son plan to die? On the cross, Jesus took all of our sin. All the bad things we do and all the sad things they cause, Jesus took them all from us. And when he did, something amazing, astonishing, astounding happened. The curtain tore. God ripped up the keep out sign. God's wonderful place is open again. Because Jesus died, we can go in. After Jesus died, his friends put him in a tomb. They were very sad. For two days, nothing happened. Then, the next morning, Jesus' friends went to see his body in the tomb. And it wasn't there. A little later on, Jesus' friends were all together and suddenly Jesus was there, alive. Suddenly his friends weren't sad. They were so, so happy. God had brought Jesus back to life so that he could live in God's wonderful place forever. And Jesus has sent everyone an invitation to come and live with him there too. He tells us, God says it's wonderful to live with him. Because of your sin... You can't come in. But I died on the cross to take your sin. So all of my friends can now come in. We can live with God forever. There will be nothing bad and no one sad. We will see God and speak to God and just enjoy being with God just as he'd planned. It'll be wonderful to live with him. And it's all because of Jesus. We will say every day, thank you, Jesus. You're amazing. And you can start saying that today. He ripped up the keep out sign. And when Jesus cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full 
And, and with the full reassurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Makes me think of that song that we sing. Your cross testifies in grace, tells of a father's heart to make a way for us. Now boldly we approach, not earthly confidence, only by your blood. He made a way for us. We're invited back in. What would Moses have said when we tell him what we've now got on offer? What would David have said? What would Solomon have said? We are invited in. There's no need for a curtain anymore. We can walk with him in the cool of the day. We can walk with him in the heat of the day when things get tough. We can know the presence of God. One day we will know it absolutely fully. But until then we can know it in part in a way that others could not have known it. So, what is the temple today? Well, surely there's no temple now. Well, it's been transformed. This is a video by the Bible Project. It's really dense. They give a lot of information. So I'll, do, I'll kind of do a recap on a few of the points that I want us to, to see. So let's watch this. So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here. There's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature, but here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a, a clear distinction. So you said that these spaces can overlap, though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other 
was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty. But human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible is all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. Literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around, hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus. Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. Okay, I don't know how many times I've watched that video, I still am overwhelmed by the amount of information that comes 
through it. Now, by the way, I've, I've made this video available. Um, it's, it'll be on the uh, kind of all of the King's uh, repository on the website, along with some other uh, temple-related stuff that I thought was helpful. Um, so some of the key points that I'm drawing out from that. So the goal is the reunification and the union of, of heaven and earth. That's what God wanted. That's what he set up at the beginning. That's what things will look like in the end. So Eden was that space of, uh, of overlap where God and humans dwelt together perfectly and they partnered for a purpose together. The fall we've seen is the separation, wanting to do things our own way. The establishment of the temple is God providing a, um, an overlap space between God's space and our space and the necessary um, role of sacrifices to absorb the sin so that we're able to go into that. Then when we see Jesus coming along, Jesus dwelt with us. He tabernacled among us. Jesus is the temple. And he can go out into the world and make other spaces where heaven is touching, touching earth. Jesus was the sacrifice that absorbs the sin of the world, creating key, uh, clean spaces, and that's clean, keep places, clean spaces keep growing. And one day, heaven and earth will be completely reunited. This is the gospel. This is what we are here for. So what is the temple today? Well, we see Jesus is the temple. And so that's the verse that um, they quoted in the video. You even see Jesus in John chapter 2 talking about the temple being destroyed. And he said that um, his, this temple will be resurrected in three days. And I was thinking, well, this temple took like 40 years to make. You can, th you can think you can build it in three days. And he says, he was talking about his body. Okay. So that's a point that he kept on making. Jesus is the space where heaven and earth overlap. We also see that the temple is the church now. So 1 Peter 2.5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. That spiritual house could also be translated as temple. So we are a temple. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? 2 Corinthians 6.16, for we are the temple of the living God. Ephesians 2.22, and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We, we are the place where heaven and earth overlaps. This isn't about an institution. This is about people that have been called out of this world and brought together for purpose. That's what the Bible means by church. Even you get that image in Ephesians 3.10 where God wants to make known to principalities and powers and authorities his wisdom and he does it through the church. It comes through the church and goes out into the world. So God wants to make a difference to the world. He does it through the church. Because we are his temple, we're a place where he touches down. Also talks about in the Bible that you individually are a temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, 
whom you have received from God. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. You think, imagine what went into creating that temple, the significance of that temple that Solomon built. That is you today. You are a place where the Holy Spirit resides. You are a hot spot of God on earth. The Spirit of God that put the stars in the sky, that designed the mountains, that flooded the seas with water, that Spirit is in you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. That is incredible. I can't, I can't get my mind around that. And I've tried to find different illustrations where I've talked on this topic before. And I remember telling you guys the story of, I was holding William when he was a baby and I was um, wiping down the kitchen table and I heard this, doof, 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 doof. I'm thinking, what's that? And I looked down and on the floor are spices from the spice rack. And I think, oh, did I... I knock that and I looked around and he's reaching out my arms grabbing all the spices out of the spice racks and they're hitting on the floor it wasn't in my reach but it was within the reach of he who I was holding in the same way I've got a spirit that's in me that can reach things that I didn't know were in my reach I remember uh, Jess telling us the story I can't remember exactly um, but Jess had gone into B&Q and you had a staff, your staff member was helping you or something, and then you had a word for them. Was it about, what was it? About their ears. About their ears. So I want to pray for your ears. How did, how did Jess know that the guy had bad ears? It was out of her reach, but it wasn't out of the reach of he who she was holding within her. Because she's a temple. The Spirit of God was in that place, interacting that person, because... He was in Jess. How might the spirit break out from within you? When you do something out of love, you make your colleague a cup of tea, the spirit of God reaches out and touches them and communicates to them. And some people do Christianity as if it's just a selection of beliefs you subscribe to. I don't want to do that. I want to be a temple of the Holy Spirit that he could reach out from within me. Where does he want to touch today? Where is he going to touch in your life as you are a walking temple of God in your places of work, in your families? So jumping back into Kings chapter 6, if we use the metaphor of temple to think about us as a people, there are some certain lessons that I just want to pick out here. So I sent a message to Ficaret as, as a builder. I said, what do you make of the way that Solomon built his temple? And he came back to me and he said, the thing that I notice when it comes to building, you have to use lots of different materials. It can't be built all out of the same thing. You've got to have a variety of stuff for it to work and hold together. And so when I look around at this temple, I'm seeing lots of different materials. I see ones that aren't exactly the same as me. And it makes me wonder, 
Am I willing to accept the differences in how God has pulled us all together? Just because you don't see things the same way as me, you don't have the same political stance as me, you support a silly team like Arsenal instead of West Ham, I mean, it's possible. But can my love for you overcome that? I'm not sure. But I need his help to be able to embrace all of you because I don't naturally do it. Another thing we see in uh, the way that Solomon built that temple is his diligence. He was down to the wire. There was no expense spared. There was uh, no shortcuts. Do I have the same attitude in my role in building up this temple? Do I take the same diligence to it? Or am I just saying, oh, that's, that's just Jacob, that's, that's just who he is, or, oh, yeah, Rob, what, what, what can you do? Or am I saying, no, this is the temple of God. I want to go the extra mile. I want to lay down my life. I want no expense spared in my investment in building the temple, because this is where God lives. There's a very curious bit in um, verse 7. In building the temple, only blocks were were dressed at the quarry um, were used, and no hammer, chisel, or any other iron tool was heard at the temple site while it was being built. That's very impractical. But there was something about an awe of what they were doing that they didn't want to be banging away and making a noise with, with tools at that point. And it made me think, are there times that I make too much noise when I'm trying to build you, where I get a little bit over-excited over about my role in your life, where actually what I need is just to be silent and see what God's up to? Some of you might remember Mark McGrath uh, teaching he said don't touch the ark and so it's a story of when Uzzah tried to protect the ark when it was being moved um, by David and he reached out his hand he tried to steady it and Mark's point was how often in life do we underestimate that God is alive and well in someone's life and we reach in haphazardly to try and correct or make a judgment taking time to think God is up to something in every human life and it's a joy to be able to participate but it doesn't depend on me. So I want to make sure that I'm in line with what God's doing. I'm joining in his invitation to be part of his continued creation and not trying to do things on my own term. So appreciating the body. There's other bits in Corinthians where it talks about that. It says we... We are parts of the body. Just because I'm not a foot doesn't mean that I'm worthless. I've got to appreciate all that God's put. So, response opportunity here. So the couple of things that I was thinking, the idea of the curtain being torn just grabs me every time. That a way has been opened up to come into the presence of God. Even today, I can experience it and know it. And I want to invite you to accept that Jesus has opened the way up for you to come back into relationship with God. 
Now, you may never have made that decision. You may never have thought of that before. And this might be the first time that you're thinking, I never knew there was a way. I want a relationship with God. I want that. But I also want to talk to those that have probably grown up in this church that have heard this message a thousand times. But it doesn't delight you. It doesn't grip you. It doesn't excite you. It's just information. It's facts. You can stare at it and it's boring. I want to invite you today to respond to say, God, touch my heart with the reality that you have opened the way up for me. That I can be in relationship with you, not just play being a Christian, not just subscribe to a set of beliefs and moral codes. I can actually know God, be enjoyed by God, and enjoy God myself. Another thought for you is, how are you going to participate in the building of the temple this week? Is there a word of encouragement? Is there an expression of love? Who is it that God is putting on your heart that you could be part of establishing where God lives on a daily basis? So there you go. Those are my thoughts for you today. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk, on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at Lifeline UK.